You're listening to Alternative Thinking, Both Sides of the Coin, a production of the Canadian Association of Alternative Strategies and Assets, where we explore today's markets and alternative investments from two distinct perspectives. In this episode, we speak with a leader in the pension fund management space, as well as a noted expert in quantitative methods for extremely large portfolios, such as those with $100 billion. Both have a passion for ESG and creating portfolios that support both environmental, social, and governance imperatives, as well as the return and income requirements of pensioners and investors that rely on their products. James Brown is the president and co-founder of CASA. All opinions expressed during the show by James and our show guests remain their own and should be used for informational and educational purposes only. Find out more about CASA at casa.ca. Hello, this is James Buron from CASA. Today's Thursday, April 8th, and this is Alternative Thinking. Today we have Marnie Aragon with Alcuity Investment Management and Brandon Gill New from OP Trust uh, with us. So uh, we're going to start with self-introductions. Uh, we'll start with you, uh, Brandon. Thanks. Thanks, James. It's great to be here. Uh, so yes, yeah, so I'm a senior portfolio manager at OP Trust, which is a Canadian pension plan based out of Toronto. Um, we are a defined benefit plan, and we manage about 23 billion Canadian dollars for over 98,000 members. And um, our assets are mainly managed for employees of the government out of Ontario, um, and also some members of the nonprofit industry. Um, so at OP Trust, I work in the capital markets team, um, and then within and that team focuses p- primarily on public investments for the plan. Um, but I work within a smaller team uh, in the capital markets team that invests across external managers, and we really invest um, across all kinds of strategies in the liquid space. Um, and our job is really to complement what our internal trading desk is uh, executing, or and also what our private markets teams are doing. Oh, great. Thanks. So uh, we get this question a lot where people talk about it, like the internal versus external managers at, at major Canadian plans. Like, you know, there's this, they have this so-called pension uh, Canadian model, um, and a lot of it is is internal. Uh, can you talk about what areas or what strategies you'd have managed internally as much as you can and and what you'd look for from the external managers that you uh, that you employ? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so we are a mid-sized plan given we're 23 billion. So our internal desk is um, not quite at the scale that you might see at some of our larger peer plans. However, it plays a really important mm-hmm. role. And um, and typically we have, a, we have a team there and typically they are accessing um, investments that we just don't want to pay a manager to execute for us. So, and it doesn't make sense to pay a, a manager to execute for us. Um, and mm-hmm. so they might be um, based data strategies for the plan, for instance, we do a lot through passive equity, um, and they might might be um they might also be kind of uh, simple versions of strategies that we might find through our external managers. And then we really, our job with the external team is really to access more complex strategies that we can't and we just don't have the scale to execute internally. So things like um, emerging markets equities, for instance, where you would really need a big team, you know, maybe across the globe to execute that really mm-hmm. well and deeply. That would be something we would we would access externally. Um, 
and things like complex credit strategies that we can't uh, implement internally and also you know hedge fund strategies um, where you do want sort of big teams or teams with niche expertise to really give you something different. So so we're really looking for um, a little more complex uh, strategies that will complement uh, the rest, the, what, what the internal team is doing. Excellent. Thanks. And how about, like, what, what's the plan for OP Trust? The $23 billion, uh, you know, some of the larger ones, CVP are at 400 plus, I guess now, and and others are a few hundred. So is it, is the the demographics underlying the pension such that it's rather young and then it's going to grow to be maybe 50 billion in the next five or 10 years, or is it something that's, that's in a bit more of a, like a runoff scenario, like a more, more of a mature plan. And then how does that affect how you're looking at the, the investments that you're investing in? Yeah, that's a great question. So we are, um, we are sort of in the middle there. We are a somewhat mature plan, but we're not in runoff uh, mode at all. Um, but it does, uh, we, we don't see ourselves growing to sort of that 50 billion or a significant number uh, going mm. forward. Um, however, we are adding assets at the margin because we did launch a program called OP Trust Select, which allows us to include members from the not-for-profit industry. And so that's growing uh, slightly um, and at the margin and will certainly help help us diversify our, our client base. Um, and that said, so, so because of that type of uh, profile that we have, we tend to manage the plan quite conservatively, I would say. Um, we really want to be able to manage to our, um, you know, we want to be able to pay out our benefits. We want to be able to do that with the lo- lowest level of volatility possible, um, given that we are in a more mature mode. Um, and we call that our member-driven investment strategy. So um, we will seek kind of more, uh, a lower risk profile, um, we will definitely, you know, we don't need to swing for the fences for anything. We want that pension certainty. Um, and so as a result of that, our portfolio is managed towards that, towards lower risk for the returns that we're getting. And so really we are going, we create a very diversified portfolio that is going to do well in many environments. So very much an all weather diversified portfolio. Very cool. So let's talk a bit about environments and uh, certainty, maybe the ESG certainty, uh, like how does that factor into what you're doing? It's, it's, it's kind of topical. It's something that's been around for, obviously, I think Earth Day has been going for about 30 odd years now, maybe 50. Um, and how, do, how does that factor into how you're choosing investments and managers and, and the, I guess the overall scope and, and depth of the, uh, of the portfolio? Yeah, so that's a, a really topical question. Um, responsible investing is very important to us at OP Trust, and so we approach it a number of ways. Uh, first, uh, we work to integrate uh, any risks in, and opportunities into our own portfolio. So as we're making direct investments across the portfolio in any asset classes, we're really under, trying to understand what uh, responsible investing risks are also out there that we uh, need to be concerned about. and. And that's just generally part of how we integrate RI into our strategy. Um, But in our case, we also Mm -hmm. look at uh, managers. And so what we do for the managers is we tend to, or what, what we have, we have a process in place where we will, you know, with each manager that we're initiating investment in, we to make a big effort to understand how they're approaching RI strategies as well to make sure that they are integrating the risks in their own portfolio and thinking about this actively. Uh, and in some cases, it's not as relevant. So certain strategies, you know, are it, it, 
we have, an, for instance, we have a trader, a hedge fund with an intraday trading strategy, and it's, you know, quite challenging to think about RI in that context. But in other areas like EM equity, you know, it is very important and very um Mm-hmm. and much easier to integrate. And so we do an assessment on each each manager. And then, you know, if managers are getting up the curve in, in, in RI, then we will actually, you know, engage with them and help them understand and figure out how to, how to set up a process for themselves. Um, and then lastly, the way we deal with in, uh, sustainable investing is we also have a, a, a team that focuses on investing uh, in this area. So we have our, what we call our sustainable investment and innovation team, and they are the ones in charge of, of all of our RI efforts, but they also have the ability to run risk. And so they will uh, seek out some interesting niche strategies uh, in the RI space as well that they think will be value add to the portfolio. Very cool. Well, let's talk about one of those niches with uh, with Marnie here from Alquity, which I imagine is altruistic equity, um, uh, based in based in London, and uh, but I think you're over stateside right now. And uh, let's hear about Alquity and, and you, Marnie. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Alquity does stand for altruistic equity, um, and Alquity Investments is really a pure play shop on ESG. Um, just as just as a background, I'll. What I want to do is highlight where I've come from and why I'm at Alquity right now. So prior to Alquity, I had quite a bit of a long career, out of which most recently I spent 15 years at Aberdeen Asset Management. So the most recent role Mm. that I had there was as global head of quantitative analytics. And I headed up a team across the globe, and I was part of the senior management team that managed over $100 billion dollars. And during that time, you know, this was very difficult years starting from the great financial crisis recession in 2008 until the most recent years. But because of that quantitative discipline that we introduced, we actually improved performance from 40% to 80% across all the mandates we managed. Yeah. So wow. when we moved, when I moved to Alquity Investments in 2019, uh, it, it, what really appealed to me was that Alquity was all about ESG. Um, and that was very appealing because uh, they didn't have any other mandate but to dedicate their investments to that. And coming to ESG, um, I was able to implement quantitative portfolio management along with their fundamental portfolio management. And I think the reason why we were able to do that successfully and improve performance is that there really is a lot of data right now that supports how we can integrate that stock data, that ESG data, and sustainability data into a good ESG fundamental manager. So with that integration, what we wanted to do was to then manage a global impact fund that looked at not just emerging markets, which is what Alquity really uh, specialized in, but to access all the um, opportunities out there globally. And we launched a global impact fund, which is quantitatively run. It's an ESG fund. So with like any other ESG fund, we ensure that we have a good handle on ESG risks and we're trying to target. We're targeting superior risk-adjusted returns. But I think what we have is a unique approach we're in 
we're not only doing that, but we mm-hmm. want to ensure that we have a significantly lower environmental impact and we have better social outcomes than what a global index would do. Let's let's uh yeah let's go back maybe to the founding of Alcuti because I know of course uh, Renee for for years and she was also at Aberdeen and then you came from there and um, you know you're running a hundred billion dollars so you know the the, the the all the quant on that and now you're at a shop which probably doesn't have a hundred billion dollars under its under its belt right now in AUM yet but uh, so why why go uh, to a shop like Alcuti uh, versus uh, I guess you could have had the pick of the litter uh, after being where you were. Um, uh, what what was different about it? And maybe, uh, like I say, I met your founders, but uh, maybe a bit more about their story as well. You're right. It's you're absolutely right. It's 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 definitely a change. But you know, just as a just a short short background, when I left Aberdeen in 2017, I actually wanted to take a step back and rethink what I wanted to do with my career in investments. I was very passionate about investing and I, and I still continue to be passionate about investing. But I think that we were, it was very obvious in the world that we were coming to a pivot point, even before the pandemic, in terms of how we thought about ESG, responsible investing. And what appealed to me with Alcuti, which is I think very different from bigger investment firms, was that there weren't competing interests in terms of what they wanted to do with ESG. Um, This was definitely a pure play um, in the sense that not only were they running uh, ESG, and they've been doing it for about 10 years now, so there's quite a bit of experience there on how you look at ESG. And emerging markets happens to be one of those areas where you really don't have a lot of data there's quite a bit of research that you really will have to do. Um, There is an understanding of what's relevant in ESG risks in emerging markets, which can be very different from the developed markets. And I think just their ability to do that well uh, and to do that with such uh, conviction was very, very appealing. But what I think was unique about Alcoti and continues to be unique about Alcoti is that they not only are investing in ESG, but they turn the lens on themselves and they say, are we practicing what we preach? And what they've done was to actually allocate Mm. at least 10% of their revenues to a foundation that invests back into the communities that they invest in thereby creating that virtuous circle. And they've been doing it for 10 years. So there's this, there's, there's this group of people who not only are aiming to do that, want to do that, but there's evidence of it being done over the past 10 years. So that created such an appealing um, thing for me. And the more I thought about it, the more I really wanted to bring the quantitative aspect of investing into what they do, especially given that there's so much data right now. Um, and ESG is a, is, is, is a big, it's, it's, it's a very big conundrum in the sense that when you have ESG, people tend to think of it as you now have a more limited universe to, to work with in terms of investment opportunities. Um, and while that might not be true, because if you are a high quality ESG company, 
um, you know, the, the, the thinking is that you're able to manage your ESG risks well, and you're able to make your uh, management decisions quite well. So in the long run, those, those companies should outperform. But there are short-term risks that you have to manage as an ESG manager. So bringing that to this group and creating a more robust product mm-hmm. really brings it to uh, 21st century investing, if you can think of it that way. And it opens up a lot of growth that opportunities that I am very excited to be part of. Wow. Yeah. Nothing says commitment than top line giving. It's uh, not just a portion of profits. It's like, here's, here's uh, from our revenue side, which is awesome. And I guess one more question for you on the, on the data side. So you said they're mostly EM uh, originally, which yeah, is very, I guess there's more data. Like how, how do you, uh, and, and your global impact uh, uh, fund, is, is there enough data to, to, to gauge the ESG uh, impact or how, I don't know what you say, like ESG, an investment might be, uh, or is it, is it something that's still a work in progress? Definitely a work in progress, but there has been so much progress, I think, especially over the past three to five years. When you Mm. think about ESG globally, there people tend to demarcate it into two pieces, which is the developed markets and the emerging markets. And I think if you look at developed markets, uh, which is 85% of the global opportunities that you'll find, there is a lot of data out there, uh, not just through uh, the financial statements that the company has, the disclosures that they provide, but there is a lot of public data in terms of where they generate their revenues, what their climate impact has been, and a lot of independent research behind the, 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 the goods that they produce and where they produce it so that you can get some understanding of their impact on biodiversity, on health outcomes, and on diversity. So there is that wealth of data already available and not just a couple of sources, there are lots and lots of sources. So it's a question of how do you then structure that data so that it becomes useful to you. Then you've got, then you have emerging markets where clearly uh, that data is improving and companies are thinking about ESG a lot more and disclosing more. But there's quite a bit of progress mm. that needs to be there. A lot of it is still quite estimated. So what we find in emerging markets is that you really need to have a good specialized ESG team who can interpret that data for you and be able to get it to the level where the developed market data is. Right, yeah. Hey, let's let's go to Brandon. Like you have data coming at you from all angles, and uh, you know. So, how do you gauge the the quality of like an ESG manager or or like an individual offering uh, that might make its way into the OP uh, OP trust portfolio? Uh, that's definitely part of our job is to assess you know assess how our managers are doing with managing this data. And so, you know, we we do have various offerings for data, but. Um, but as Marnie explained, you know, that you can't just use one source, you know, you need to use a lot of different sources uh, and managers need to do that. And so, for instance, if we have a, a, 
a fundamental manager in EM and, you know, we realize they're going to be having challenges perhaps accessing uh, some data, you know, we're looking to see that they are getting alternative sources of data, for instance, um, and and marrying that with what they're, you know, they're on the ground research with companies and and pulling it all together. Um, So, you know, you have to you have to um, be really aware of the limitations of your data, of different data sets, and then kind of marry them together in a way that is going to work to give you the best uh, information possible. And that does take an extra level of work for sure. And so what would you say might be your, uh, uh, this is kind of an old, old time podcast, your pet peeves, like when you when you see an ESG offering, something you mm-hmm. go, oh man, this is probably a, a white wash or a green wash, I guess. Uh, and other ones you'd say, wow, this 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 shop probably got it together. We still got to look, but it really gives me a good feeling. Yeah. So we see a lot of a lot of uh, greenwashing is yeah what we call it, and um, and there is a lot of it out there. The world knows that ESG is a growing area of interest for allocators, and so a lot of investment management companies are you know you do see them where they slap on a label and say this okay we're looking at ESG now and and we're integrating it. Um, so it it really goes to doing the due diligence work to, to, to sort of sort the, the good ones from the bad ones out. Um, and what we look for, you know, obviously they're going to have intent and they're going to talk about what they're doing, but we actually really dig in to see exactly what they're doing. And we'll go through case studies. We will mm. meet with their ESG, you know, professionals to, to actually test to see how involved the ESG team really is with the investment team. Cause sometimes there's an ESG team that's quite separate, uh, from the actual investment team and you'll realize things aren't getting as integrated as you would as maybe advertised. So we really spend the time to understand, you know, to go through, you know, ideas and investments um, and then understand how how the information and the data is getting transferred between maybe the RI teams and the investment teams. And ideally, you know, we see some great teams where that RI is just integrated at the investment team level and the investment team is quite aware of, of you know, ESG risks. And, and that's just part of their day-to-day analysis. And um, that's a sign of a, a, a team where that's getting, you know, very authentically integrated. You know, Brandon is completely right. A lot of the clients that we have are constantly um, speaking to us about how our ESG investment process is working. Um, and Brandon is absolutely right. We, we have to demonstrate that ESG is integrated into our process. I think maybe that is one thing that I've found to be appealing at Alcody as well is that because it's such a smaller um, shop, where we have our investors who are also ESG experts. So, for example, I not, I not only do my quantitative factor investing, not only look at portfolio construction and risk management, but every company in my portfolio, uh, I need to have the ability to understand where their revenues are coming from. So there's this constant checking that we do with the data and then cross-checking, as Brandon had said, mm-hmm. because you can't just stick with one source. What you then have to do is validate that. And as you get more pieces of information that leads you down to further research on what is happening there. So it's a constant thing. And these ESG risks are evolving very, very quickly. You may get a monthly or a quarterly snapshot of what a company is doing. But because the markets are moving all the time and they're repricing those risks and you have to be aware of those risks, there's a constant understanding of what is going on. 
um, even to the extent of, you know, we've got the data to understand what is their scope one and scope two emissions, what is their diversity, but something will happen, you know, where you then have to understand what is mm -hmm. the impact of that. You know, an, an example for that is um, Microsoft, which is a great ESG company. And one of the things that uh, we want to do is ensure that the core uh, revenues from a company isn't coming from things like armaments, from alcohol, from um, from gambling, you know, those, those bad sectors. So Microsoft, for example, will have some involvement in defense. So what we have to do is constantly understand where in what areas are they are they involved in and what percent of their revenues is that coming from and does that impact their core ESG mess so it's a constant understanding and ensuring that you have that ability to look at the ESG component but there's the tension of ensuring that you've got the right market exposures to manage your risks so the nice the unique thing about being at Alquity is that you can manage both and while there may be short-term compromises on some of those market risks, uh, we want to ensure that we are extremely pure play in that ESG mess and we can manage those short-term risks. And that's really, mm -hmm. really important. I think that ESG managers have that tension all the time and being able to have that RI function integrated makes it a little bit easier and seamless to make those portfolio construction decisions. Very cool. And on, I guess on the portfolio construction, there's always a, the passive and active and uh, we'll ask Brandon this too after this, but uh, so Marnie for yours, is it uh, like, and there's, there's activism as well. So are, are you more of a, would you become like an activist? You'd say investor. I don't know if that's a, that's a bad word now or something or, or is it more like you, you're, you'll invest more as it gets better and then you'll, you'll take money off the table if it's, if it's going the wrong way. Like how, how do you guys manage that? Or are you, or are you start doing proxies and this type of thing and, and, uh, like I haven't seen you in, in like haven't seen Alquity in the news, but was that something that that Alquity would use to uh, to kind of move the move the uh, the conversation to? Yeah, a I mean, there form? are a couple of ways that we do that. Uh, you know, I think with Alquity, it's 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 relatively smaller compared to the Black Rocks of the world, right? Uh, so we have to be really smart about mm -hmm. how we deploy our activism. Um, the nice thing about being small, though, is that if you look at the research, it's really the small and mid-sized investment firms that are creating that push uh, with the companies towards um, becoming much more responsible um, and thinking about their negative externalities. But being a small shop, we do do two things. One is obviously we, we will always communicate with, with the companies that we have, uh, that we own. And... With respect to activism mm. and how do we accept when something is acceptable in terms of ESG and not, there is a very high bar that we set for our ESG names, um, but not every ESG, no, no one is perfect. So there's still quite a bit of activism that you need to have, mm -hmm. even with these very, very good ESG names. But where we do allow... Uh, some of that improvement to come through is that we think that um, investing in companies that have most of the revenues come from sustainable products, such as wind farms, such as um, components for electric vehicle, you know, th those companies may not be the best of the best. So what we, but what we do is we ensure that they have that willingness to improve 
and we will work with them uh, to engage with them in order to increase uh, aspects of their ESG, such as diversity, which we're very passionate about. As a small shop, though, I think where we're really effective is that we are working with many investment managers as a group um, to push forward initiatives. We're working with, um, with, with groups such as FAIR, which is basically really focusing on the meat industry, right, and ensuring right. that they have their, uh, their ESG issues and sustainability issues addressed. So we will work with them to further their agenda. Um, and that, I think, comes through with that village mentality. It takes a village to change the world. And if we as smaller managers can band together to get that activism in place, um, we will be most effective that way. Great. How about to you, Brandon, uh, from the pension fund side, fund side with uh, a few billion at your disposal? Yeah. Um, well, I would completely agree with Marnie in that it does take a village and um, you do need to work together. Um, and the more investors... Uh, express their desire to make these changes, the more the companies will listen. And so we need to kind of all get behind this. So from our standpoint, we do a number of things. Um, in our passive strategies, that's an area where, you know, we were a little bit more limited and we will make certain exclusions in that in that area. Um, but mm-hmm. then for the rest of our, uh, our strategies, uh, one thing we do is we do um, engage with a a service um, that helps us do the engagement work with certain companies. They'll see our holdings and then we'll, um, and we'll engage with certain companies on our behalf. So we do work with them very closely. Um, We also vote proxies. um, And so, Mm -hmm. you know, and express our views that way. Um, And then when it comes to the work with our managers, we, again, we, we make sure we're linking with managers who are doing this work. And when something does happen with a company, we're on top of it. So, you know, we might have an example with an EM company that was in a portfolio and it, you know, something happened and, you know, we will absolutely kind of sit on top of that manager, see how that they're, they're engaging um, with the company and, you know, understand, you know, what the progress expectations are. Uh, And I would also agree with the point that Marnie made that one thing we really like and we like to see in our managers are, are companies that are making positive changes. Um, and we actually see that as a great source of alpha because with ESG and higher quality valuations go up. So, you know, we do like to, to see um, support companies that are making those changes and invest in them because we also see higher returns come out of them. Exactly. Yeah. I imagine that doing good and doing well. Um, so I was going to ask you too, like if this is more of a dedicated kind of hived off portfolio where you have a the ESG and RI funds, or if it's, it's or if it's more of an overlay. But it sounds like now maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, but like you look at every manager on an ES on the ESG uh, criteria and um, and and have them act as an ESG manager, even though they're not maybe necessarily saying, is that, is that right? Or is it some, some other nuance of that? It's, it's perhaps a nuance. I think when, when it comes to the managers themselves, we are monitoring how they're uh, dealing with their ESG and, you know, we don't mm. want to limit ourselves uh, to a certain category of, of managers, maybe the larger managers. We, we're a mid-sized plan, and so we actually do like smaller, nichier managers. But those managers may not be as strong or just up the curve because they might be earlier in their lifespan or they might work mm-hmm. in a niche area. So nobody has, has asked them to do this. So with those, we will engage and help them get up the curve if it makes sense. Um, but we're not... Um, 
we're not necessarily creating an ESG-oriented portfolio. We just want to make sure that that ESG is incorporated into portfolios and especially where appropriate. And uh, and then I would say on the on the other side, we actually are have this dedicated portfolio through our, uh, our SII team that does really engage very deliberately in, um, mm-hmm. in ESG-oriented managers, specifically with a specific focus right now on, on climate change. Well, that's awesome. This brings me to my... One of my final questions is like, where are the opportunities? Where are you seeing growth? Uh, so I guess we'll see with you, Brandon. And, and I'm thinking like there's EV and that then the batteries are bad and you have wind and solar. Of course, you know, wind doesn't kill birds, but uh, that, that's growing, but it's still a relatively small part of the, the equation. Uh, and they're always getting more efficient, I guess, as well. Uh, and then there's things like, you know, that, that's just the E. And then you have the social area. Uh, we've had um, webinars and, and podcasts with Bill Cino, just because you have, a mining facility where they're bringing in, in foreign money to these uh, and, and some workers to a, to a, uh, a poor area that actually harms the people there because suddenly there's massive inflation on regular foodstuffs and everything. So there's a social aspects and then governance, which, uh, which affect is kind of like a, it's kind of like a more of an overarching uh, idea, but uh, so where, 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 where are you guys kind of focusing, Brandon? Is it, is it more the climate side or is there, there are other things that are in there and maybe more specifically? Yeah, I would say for the broader portfolio, we are looking more broadly at all of these factors that you just described. I would say for this, our SII team, um, you know, they're a small team and we want to make very targeted investments. So they're sort of going by theme and climate change is a big theme for us at the plan level because we really see this as a very tangible mm-hmm. risk. Um, and so that's an area where they've really started to focus and and done first investments. And, um, and that can span just a real range of different themes and definitely energy themes, definitely, um, you know, agriculture themes, timberland, uh, things like that. So um, yeah, so I would say climate change would be an area where we're focusing the most right now, but, but overall, um, at the broader portfolio level, we, um, we are looking generally at a lot of these different areas. Yeah. So how about for you, Marnie, uh, are there any areas in your portfolio that people are, are more in uh, that your, maybe your portfolio team is more interested in, or you've had investors say, Hey, maybe you should take a look at, at this area a bit more. We love this type of investment that you're doing. Any, uh, any, uh, any themes that are, that are becoming more prominent now? You know, I, I think, Brandon is right. You look at things much more generally um, because all of these things are very, very important. But what we what we have done, though, was to identify about 200, maybe even 300 companies that focus specifically on uh, sustainable products. So that means like 50 percent of their revenues um, is allocated to sustainable products. What we're seeing as a trend is that more and more of those companies uh, offer sustainable products that really are towards climate change, um, as well as health outcomes. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's quite a number that are moving towards cleaner water as well. So it's a function of both supply and demand. Certainly we're seeing the demand from clients uh, about climate change. Um, the social issues of diversity and governance come through in the ESG, in the ESG management. But the increase in accessibility of investment opportunities for climate change and better health outcomes and better water outcomes 
are the things that uh, seem to be good opportunities for us to look at now. And we're not only looking at Hmm. the usual, very obvious things such as buying an electric car vehicle manufacturer um, and uh, and wind turbines. We're definitely looking at the supply chain of those things. We're looking at companies that are quickly transitioning to this um, zero carbon world, uh, such as auto parts um, and certainly some things such as um, the semiconductor industry, which will continue to support that growth, uh, as well as companies that recycle um, in support of producing those parts for for electric vehicles and for cleaner energy. So there's quite a bit of opportunity that we're seeing there. Um, I think the one thing that every ESG investment manager has to keep in mind is that since these are growth opportunities, uh, less established companies, you always have to ensure that you've got the right portfolio construction to integrate these companies in, in order to manage your volatility within your broader global index. So yes, those opportunities exist and we're finding them quite excited by all of, by all that's happening and the increase in the number of companies who are doing that. Excellent. Thank you. Um, Wow, I think we're at the, toward the end of our time here. So it's been great. Like it's it's obviously a growing and evolving area, uh, whether it's ESG or RI or SI. And and uh, I'm really glad to hear that both of you um, and others in the industry are are doing your part, whether it's on the portfolio manager level or as an asset owner, and um, and really making a change uh, for the better. And I guess yeah, you're both yeah, you're right. I mean, if you don't have the climate, all the other stuff kind of doesn't matter because uh, you know where you're going to live. But uh, we just uh, we find the right balance in so many ways and uh, and go on from here. So I'd like to thank you. Thank you both, Marnie and Brendan, uh, for your time today. Thank you. Thank you, James. It was really fun.